Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. As the 1950s ended and a new decade began, there was some fear that the Southern Association would not be able to survive. Attendance increased after World War II, but began to decline as televisions gave families a choice to stay home and watch in the comfort of their air-conditioned dens. And automobiles allowed them to choose drive-in movies and suburban shopping instead of a baseball game on a hot July night in an old stadium. Failure was on the horizon as two-storied franchises pulled out of the Southern Association in successive years. Now, this is a league that's been around since 1901, and although there have been teams in and out of the league, there were a couple of stalwarts that finally dropped out. New Orleans dropped out after 1959, and Memphis followed the next year. Both clubs blamed low attendance for leaving the league, but Memphis no longer had an adequate place to play because the Chicks' Russwood Park had burned to the ground just before the beginning of the 1960 season. And games that year were played in smaller municipal parks, so yes, attendance was a problem. The league carried on through the 1961 season with a renewed hope to replace the Pelicans in 1960. Little Rock rejoined the circuit. The Travelers had been a charter member of the Southern Association, but they played no professional baseball in 1959. And then Macon supplanted the Chicks to begin 1961. Now, Frank LaCasey's Chattanooga Lookouts, at a record of 90 and 62, went from worst to first. They were 60 and 93 the previous season under Forrest Jacobs, and they won the 1961 pennant by the narrowest of margins by one game over the Birmingham Barons. Nashville won 69 and lost 83 and finished in sixth place, as Rod Keneal led the league as the only player to participate in every game. And that was really the only thing the Vols had to hang their cap on. And on September the 4th, attendance at Sulphurdale was 625 as the Vols closed out the year. And when the season was over, the owners scheduled a meeting in Birmingham for October the 29th to discuss a game plan for taking the league into another year. Atlanta, with eyes on becoming a major league club, would no longer remain in the league and soon would become a farm club for St. Louis as the Cardinals' AAA affiliate in the International League. And both Shreveport and Mobile were represented at the meeting, but soon followed in abandoning baseball completely for the new season. So in laying out plans for 1962, only three clubs had a major league affiliation in place, and that was a problem. Birmingham with the Detroit Tigers, Little Rock with the Baltimore Orioles, and Chattanooga with the Philadelphia Phillies, those were all set, but Nashville and Macon were hopeful to have affiliations lined up, but the other teams didn't. And a committee to work on agreements for the entire league was formed with Chattanooga's Joe Engel, Little Rock's Ray Winder, Birmingham's Eddie Glennon, and league president Hal Totten as members. And attention moved towards baseball's winter meetings in Tampa. The Southern Association directors were set to meet in hopes of ironing out more details, but behind-the-scenes events, unexpected, just a few days before the official talks began on November the 27th, set off a renewed trepidation. The announcement that surprised everyone was a gut punch. Eddie Glennon, the Barons' general manager since 1946 in Birmingham, 
said he had accepted a similar position of all places in Denver. His baseball story had begun in Philadelphia as a bat boy for Connie Mack's athletics. And when Connie Mack built Shibe Park, Birmingham was a farm club and Rick Woodard wanted to build a ballpark like Shibe Park. So if you go to Birmingham and see Rickwood Field, it's patterned after Shibe Park. Now, this move by Glennon literally ended an era in Southern baseball, as his mind had always been on the fans' experience. He found innovative ways to draw fans to Birmingham's Rickwood Field. For example, he began a club of honor students called the Barons Bees, who could attend games at no charge based on how they performed in the classroom. And he worked to make Rickwood Field more appealing to ladies. As Glennon's resignation came from left field, the most surprised person of all had to be Birmingham owner W.A. Belcher, who gave no immediate comment on Glennon's move. But on November the 26th, Belcher announced that he was determined to keep his franchise in the league, even if it meant moving to Huntsville or Montgomery. He'd been dealing with Birmingham officials who still enforced a city ordinance. Now, if you can believe this, It prohibited the mixing of races in athletic contests, even though the law had been ruled unconstitutional by a federal court. But this is 1961, but going into 1962, moving his club would remove the Barons from any segregation controversy that hovered over the league's unwritten rule that black players were not allowed, and Belcher was ready to get away from that. Nashville's F.M. Williams, in his The Sport Showcase column in the Nashville, Tennessee, reported how serious Belcher was when he wrote, Belcher, whose general manager, Eddie Glennon, resigned Saturday, declared he intends to keep a franchise in the Southern League, even if it means moving it to another city. Huntsville and Montgomery were mentioned as possibilities, and the Barons' owner implied that the Detroit Tigers would continue their working agreement in any of the three, including Birmingham. Now, Engel from Chattanooga assured Nashville general manager Bill Harbor that a working agreement for Nashville would be secured during the winter meetings and Pittsburgh was rumored to be the major league club most likely to hook up with Nashville, but Pirates general manager Joe L. Brown denied it. The previous season, the Pirates had been contacted for an arrangement, but it was thought the unofficial ban on Negro players scared the Bucks off. And reluctantly, Minnesota Twins general manager Sherry Robertson received a verbal affirmation from the Pittsburgh Pirates that a dual affiliation for Nashville could be achieved. That was a stretch. Some teams recognized the need to publicly state whether black players were to be afforded the opportunity to play in the league. The board of directors of Vols Incorporated, the ownership group of the Nashville Ball Club, headed off any question about the subject when they voted unanimously on September the 2nd to allow Negroes to play for the club beginning in 1962. And guess what? It was the only club to publicly announce the declaration. Ray Winder from Little Rock, always the optimist, was the first to seem reluctant about the future of the Southern Association when he said, I don't know about eight teams, however. It was anticipated that the league would operate in only six cities. Sports writer Williams, without naming sources, carried the pessimism a little further. He wrote, there simply aren't enough ballplayers for a league that is as shaky as the Southern, which has steadfastly refused to play Negroes. Double A is no longer useful in the development of major league players, one farm chief said. We've been telling those fellows for five years they'd better lift their ban against Negroes, and they wouldn't listen. Now they're in real hot water, said another team rep, according to Williams. 
Joe Sadler, who is the president of Nashville's ownership group, let league directors know that without an agreement in place by November the 29th, his city could be counted out and there would be no baseball in Nashville. Well, when Belcher of Birmingham decided to withdraw the Barons from the league, two cities were needed to keep the Southern going. It had been determined the L.A. Dodgers would attempt to place a team in Evansville, and the Minnesota Twins would do the same in Columbus, Georgia, giving the league six teams. But the key was Nashville's inability to round up a major league club to supply financial support and players. The final discussion about survival in Nashville, a last-gap solution, was for the Vols to take over the Barons-Tigers agreement. Now let that sink in for just a minute. Nashville Barons has no special ring to it, does it? But Johnson was aware of the possibility of Nashville's adoption when he wrote about it on November the 17th. It came from a conversation he had at the Georgia Tech-Alabama football game with Eddie Glennon, who had earlier resigned as Barons' general manager. Here, take this, Glennon told Johnson. You might need it. It was a roster of players that Detroit was going to supply to Birmingham for the 1962 season. It included Stan Palis, George McHugh, LeGrant Scott, Norman Manning, Bob Missolata, Mike Cloutier, Bob Patrick, Rufus Anderson, John Ryan, Al Baker, Henry Duke, John Sullivan, Larry Cole, Jerry Locke, Bob Humphreys, Jim Proctor, Willie Smith, Jim Stump, R.G. Smith, Gene Bacay, Bob Paffel, and Nashville native Jerry Ray. Now, two things. Jerry Ray was a great amateur player in Nashville and had a great future in the minor leagues and major leagues, but he didn't make it. And I mentioned Jerry Locke. I've spoken to Jerry Locke just recently. He lives not far from Nashville, just east of Nashville, uh, he's an avid fisherman. He is from West Tennessee and actually played for the Memphis Chicks in 1960 with great players Tim McCarver, Phil Gagliano, and Mike Shannon. And the next season, 1961, he played for Birmingham. In 1960, he set a Southern Association record as a relief pitcher when he appeared in 74 games. That's a lot of games in 1960 as a reliever. Well, it was doubtful the Nashville Vols would become the Barons, but maybe. In the least, it showed willing effort to keep the Southern Association going. And per sports writer Johnson, the assistance of Glennon and behind-the-scenes activity by Dick Butler, president of the Texas League, Sam Smith, head of the South Atlantic League, known as the Sally League, and Buzzy Bavese of the Dodgers, each was instrumental in attempts to prolong the historic league. The process became moot a few months later as the decision to shut down came in January of 1962, ending operations of the Southern Association once and for all. In another column, Johnson described the recent troubles that led to downfall, an epitaph that could have been written on the league's gravestone. He wrote, fire that destroyed Rustwood Park took Memphis out. Sale of Pelican Stadium so a huge motel could be built at the site virtually eliminated baseball in New Orleans. Atlanta writers got the idea that the Georgia metropolis was too big for the Southern, and they inoculated the fans so well that they forgot baseball was played in Ponce de Leon Park. They may not return for AAA ball either. And the fear of mixing black and white athletes caused Birmingham to withdraw. Well, it was the end of the glory days of the Southern Association. Atlanta moved up to AAA in the International League in 1962, soon to become the new home of the Milwaukee Braves. 
1963, Little Rock was renamed the Arkansas Travelers and joined Atlanta in the international circuit. And Macon, a longtime member of the South Atlantic League, returned to that circuit in 1962. And after a season without professional baseball, Nashville and Chattanooga joined the Sally in 1963. A few years later, Birmingham in 1964 and Mobile in 1966 joined the new Southern League. And Memphis and Shreveport, both in 1968, would enter the Texas League. When Nashville entered the Southern League in 1978, Larry Schmidt not only resurrected a team in Music City, but he also taught other minor league teams how to increase attendance and give fans an experience that was not available for many years before, except for the years of turbulence when baseball was finding its way in cities and towns outside of the major leagues. Nashville has always been, and in my estimation, will always be a baseball town. But thanks for listening in. The Southern Association began in 1901. It ended in 1961. Birmingham and Nashville were the only two members of that league that were there from the very beginning until the very end. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you need to write me, send me a note at 262downright at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. I always am grateful that you listen. If you have a comment, please certainly let me know. And I hope you listen in again soon.